The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. Today we're going to restart our series in Revelation. So if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app, please turn to Revelation 4. Revelation 4. Now you might remember that we left off at the end of chapter 3 with letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor, now known as Western Turkey. Those letters expose the strengths and weaknesses of each church. In those letters, Jesus provided encouragement for their perseverance through suffering. And that being done, Jesus is now giving a new vision, one that speaks to the future. So Emily, would you come and pray for us and read the passage? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our ears open our hearts. We invite you to be at work in us as we listen to your word. Help us to see you as our holy God and to understand ourselves as your loved children. We invite you to be at work. Amen. Revelation 4 verses 1 through 11. After this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the fourth living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Emily. This book called Revelation was written to a suffering people in the first century. To a people who lived in uncertain economic and political times a people who were pressured to conform to a worldview that is not their own. 
They were ostracized in the community, and as a result, some struggled to pay their bills. Fear and anxiety for the Christians of the time was real. Would they be able to work, to pay their rent, to buy food? There was instability in the government, too. Around the time this letter was delivered, the emperor was assassinated. Would the next leader oppress them even more? Or will he bring relief? Now, having heard that, can you relate to some of that? Can you relate to living in uncertain economic and political times? Is it just me? Or does the news of our world seem to be exceptionally bad lately? The, uh, these are difficult times simply to pay rent, to buy food, and especially to drive a car. <laughs> the government doesn't have answers. And in fact, you know, it, many of the politicians, it seems, are corrupt. And their ideas of the good ones uh, they only seem to make things worse. Well, the book of Revelation may not change the circumstances of our world, but it does provide us with some needed perspective. This shift in perspective that the book of Revelation can provide can move us. It can move us from fear toward hope, from anxiety to increasing peace and from cynicism to faith. The Apostle John was invited into heaven to see God on his throne. And what he sees, well, it tells us something. It tells us that heaven changes everything. We're going to look at this vision in three parts, and I hope, I hope that by the time we're done, you'll see and feel that shift in perspective, a shift towards faith, towards peace, and toward hope. So let's dive into the first part and see the throne of God in heaven. So if you have your Bible open, let's look at verse 1 to see the throne of God in heaven. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. So Jesus, having identified the strengths and weaknesses of the seven Asian, Asian churches, Jesus, Jesus is the one speaking like a trumpet, is now giving a new vision and a vision about the future. This vision starts in chapter 4 and continues all the way through the end of the book. So what does John see? What does he see? The one who sits on the throne, he can't really be seen. All John sees is this brilliant light that seems to sparkle like the light is coming through precious jewels. He calls them jasper and carnelian, something like diamonds and rubies. In front of that throne were seven torches. These torches represent the Holy Spirit. And the floor of heaven, the floor of heaven appears like glass or, or like crystal spreading out from the throne. It's peaceful. It's peaceful in contrast to the chaos on the earth. 
And from the throne, we see lightning. We see lightning, we hear rumbling and peals of thunder. Around the throne, around this throne, are four living creatures. Each has a different face. One like a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle. Somehow, they all have eyes all around, both in front and in back of their heads. And the entire scene around the throne is bathed in a rainbow. A rainbow with the hue of of emerald. That light, that light originates with the person who sits on the throne, the one who we can't quite see, except for the light. So, what does all this mean? What does all this mean, and why would a vision like this encourage a suffering people? How are we supposed to interpret all of this? Um, if you'll indulge me, I'll, I'll let you know some history for me. The book of Revelation honestly used to scare me. Um, anybody else feel that way? You know, yeah, yeah. It, it's hard to understand. I could get through chapter three and feel pretty good, but the rest of it, honestly, just seemed too bizarre to me. When I was a young Christian, I was taught about these images. I was taught to interpret these images and think of them as photographs of the future. What the Apostle John saw was a world at war in the 20th century. That's what I was taught. And I was taught that John, a first century man, was struggling to describe modern technology. So he used the only terms that he understood. For example, for example, Revelation 9. Revelation 9 tells us of locusts flying, coming out of the earth. Locusts with human faces and lion's teeth. Now, in that view, my teachers explained to me that John might be trying to describe an Apache helicopter, and these were the only words he had. But in trying to understand this all as a photograph, as a photograph for the modern world, I kept running into problems that I just couldn't solve. This vision right here, this was one of my problems. This vision right here is not the only vision of the throne of heaven in the Bible. And that gave me a problem. Because this same vision shows up in Isaiah, Daniel, and twice in Ezekiel. The Old Testament visions look a lot like this vision in Revelation, but my problem is that there are differences. And those differences bothered me. Isaiah and Daniel, they tell us that they can see the human figure on the throne. And then the the living creatures in Ezekiel, in the the vision in Ezekiel, well, first of all, in in all the visions, the, the living creatures have three pairs of wings. But in Ezekiel, they only have two. And one pair of wings has been replaced with wheels. See, if this is the word of God, entirely accurate in photographic detail, then how could Isaiah, Daniel, and Ezekiel, and John all see the throne of heaven and tell us different things? The problem, the problem is not with the scriptures. I think the problem might be more with us. 
Our culture and education tell us to interpret visions like photography. That's natural for us. But that's not how the original audience would understand them. The people who received this letter, Middle Eastern people of the first century, were more accustomed to this kind of literature. And they understood visions like this as symbolic. They understood visions like this as symbolic. And very important, many of the symbols here seem to connect with images in the Old Testament. See, when, when Jesus gives a picture of the throne of heaven, he gives it for a purpose. God gave Ezekiel a similar vision 700 years prior to this, in a different time for a different purpose. So, the vision that Ezekiel saw was a little different. The living creatures had wheels, and here's why. Israel had been exiled to Babylon, and now the southern kingdom, the southern part, was falling to the Babylonians as well. Jerusalem would be destroyed, and the temple was going to be burned. And the people of God, the ones held captive in a foreign land, they heard about this, and they started wondering, has God abandoned us? Has the great Yahweh who brought us out of Egypt centuries before, has he been defeated? So God gives Ezekiel a vision of the throne of heaven. And this vision tells God's people he has not abandoned them and that he was not defeated. He sits on the throne in full control and power over the universe. But one more thing, one more thing, God was on the move. Ezekiel 10. Ezekiel 10 is the only throne in heaven vision that shows the living creatures with wheels. This was a unique symbol that made a point to them. God activated those wheels when he left the temple to be with his people wherever they are. A comfort to those people who received that vision. Each vision of the throne in heaven, in Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel, and Revelation, each vision has a purpose, and it provides a message to a particular people in a particular circumstance. So, we need to ask, as we look at Revelation 4, what is the purpose of this vision? What part of this vision is different? What part of this vision is different and significant from the others? What might that mean to a suffering people in the first century church? It's the elders. This is the first time that elders appear in this common vision. The elders represent all the people of God. There are 24 of them, probably to match the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, all on thrones, all on thrones surrounding the throne room of heaven, or inside the throne room of heaven surrounding the throne. 
Christians receiving this message were to understand something important. First, Christians receiving this message are in the presence of God now. Not in the future, now. Second, just like the dire days of Ezekiel, Daniel, and Isaiah, you might feel alone. But God has not abandoned them. God is still on his throne and fully in control of events around them. But now, but now, because of Jesus, and because of the Holy Spirit, God's people are closer than ever. God's people are continually before God and the throne of heaven. See, before Jesus wants to reveal to future to them, he wants to ground them in something. He wants to ground them in the knowledge that God is close. He is now. He cares. And that he is ultimately in control. And the good news for you and me is that nothing has changed. The message to the first century church is just as true for you and me today. So how do you feel about that? See, life can be hard, right? Life can be hard, and we all have significant challenges. And this vision, it it doesn't change that. But it does change our perspective. When your thoughts keep you up at night, relationship struggles, financial struggles, health concerns, does it help to remember that God hears you? Does it help to remember that God is with you now? He cares. And that ultimately, God is in control. See, if you can grasp this vision, if you can hold on to it, does that change your perspective on your struggles of today? I need to ask, when, when you sit beside the hospital bed of a loved one, what is your hope? When it's time to say a final goodbye to a father, a mother, a spouse, or, or even a child. What is your hope? See, without this vision of the throne of heaven, a goodbye is simply the end. But this vision, this vision is of a God who is fully controlled. In in control, it gives hope of a resurrection, an eventual glorious reunion, because heaven changes everything. When you're up late at night praying for your child, that one who is making bad life choices, what is your hope? That your child is not walking alone, but that they are pursued by the God of heaven who is now the one who has not 
abandoned them and has not abandoned you because heaven changes everything. So let's look further. Let's look at the, what this vision says about the one, the one who has not abandoned you. Let's look at the one on the throne, the one who is on the throne. Notice there is no real description of God in this text. Instead, we see that God is light. John, in a different letter, tells us God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Light represents purity and knowledge. And in God, there is no sin, no evil, and perfect knowledge. And that's why the living creatures never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Yet, this light, this light, this perfection and holiness, well, it appears to be reflected through something beautiful. The reflection looks like diamonds, red jewels, and emeralds. And this light is reflected into a rainbow that fills, it fills the throne room. Now the rainbow, as you might suspect, the rainbow probably reminds the readers of God's mercy after the flood. His rainbow, a sign, a promise to never again wipe out all living things. God's mercy. The jewels? The jewels might also remind them of atonement. And here's why. Jasper, carnelian, and emerald, well, they really don't mean anything individually. But together, together, they all appear on the breastplate of the high priest. They help form the breastplate of the special garment that he wore when performing the Old Testament sacrifice for their sins. Atonement. Reminds them of atonement and mercy. The very reasons that the church is allowed to stand in the presence of a holy God. Let me say that again. Mercy and atonement. The very reason that the church is allowed to stand in the presence of a holy God. And there's one more, one more. Revelation 21 tells us that these, these three stones, these three stones are part of a foundation. They're part of the foundation of the new Jerusalem, the city that is our promise for the future, a place where he says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall they be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And this is our future. When Jesus says in verse 1, I will show you what must take place after this, he's not predicting the future. It's not something that he says, well, this is what I think is going to happen. This is a future, he says, must take place. And you know why? Because he's going to make it happen. Theologian Thomas Schreiner says this, in every instance, the throne is communicating the truth that God reigns over all. 
And thus, the suffering, the suffering that's faced by believers doesn't indicate that God has lost control over the universe. It appears to believers as if Satan and the beast rule over the world, but in actuality, God rules over all. Do you know, every time we get to a place like this, a place where we show the truth of God's sovereign reign over everything, there's always that question about the present. I'm suffering. God may be present, he may reign, but there sure is a lot of evil and suffering in this world. Does God really care about that? Well, I, I think, I think he answers that in verse five. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And where have we seen that before? God is reminding, reminding us of the day when he settled over Mount Sinai to meet with his people during the Exodus. There was lightning rumblings, and peals of thunder. Moses went up the mountain, and when he came back down, he came down with the Ten Commandments. The law for his people, God's instruction for morality and justice. See, this vision of lightning and thunder, it tells us that God has not forgotten that either. He cares deeply about injustice done to us and to others in our world. Evil is a part of the world because of sin. Evil wants to consume you, and it is the presence of God that is the only reason that constant evil isn't held back, is, is held back. I can't tell you why God allows certain evil and holds back some. But I can tell you this. God wants his people to love justice, and work to right injustice. We're not just to sit by, see the vision, and watch evil reign in our world. That's why we're supposed to be involved in our communities, to vote, to influence human institutions so that they provide justice to all people. But there's peril in doing that sometimes, isn't there? Because those in our world who seek power tend to motivate people through fear or anger. And aren't we easily ensnared in that? Now, there are times to be angry. I'm not saying you can't be angry. There is righteous anger. But if the default of your heart, if your heart is consumed with anger or fear that motivates you for justice, that's not good. It's not right. It's not what God has for you. This vision of God on his throne provides us with a shift in perspective. It helps us to vigorously advocate and influence from a place of hope 
rather than a place of fear. From a place of peace rather than a place of anxiety. From a place of faith rather than cynicism. We should pursue justice vigorously, but only from a position that is grounded in the knowledge that God is close, he is now, he cares, and that he is ultimately in control. Finally, let's look at what's happening around the throne of heaven. What's happening around the throne of heaven? What we see is worship. We see worship around the throne. And who is worshiping God in this vision? The four living creatures and the 24 elders. We said before, the elders represent all of God's people for all time. They wear white garments and crowns in recognition of their obedience and courage. They have their own thrones. Thrones given to them by God because, as Revelation 3 said, because they have conquered. But these elders, these elders leave their thrones. These elders, they leave their thrones and they fall to the floor. They take their crowns that Christ gave them and they cast them toward the throne of God. Why? Why? Because they know, they know that they only have them because of Christ. It is because of Christ and Christ alone that they are even in the presence of this holy God on the throne of heaven. So they say, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed. By your will they existed and were created. And then the four living creatures. Four living creatures, each has a different face. No one can say for sure why these four animal faces were chosen. But the the simplest answer is probably that each animal is considered the highest order in their category. The lion, king of the jungle, king of the wild animals. The ox, the highest domesticated animal. Eagle, highest order of bird and man made in the image of God. Now taken together, the message of this vision is that nature, nature, all of nature, all living creatures is worshiping God constantly. More important than the shape of their faces is the praise that comes from their mouth. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And the elders agree. They know who is holy and who is worthy of worship. So they begin again. Worthy are you, our Lord and God. And how often does this happen? The text tells us day and night. 
Day and night, the living creatures are never ceasing. And whenever the living creatures speak, the elders respond. So this goes on continually. Holy, holy, holy. And the elders fall to the floor and reply, worthy are you. Holy, holy, holy. Worthy are you. And that worship, that worship is happening now. See, there, there's an unseen kingdom and throne where living creatures and elders are worshiping God right now. And they represent all of nature and who? Us. You, right here, you are part of it. Do you remember what Tab told us last week? What he told us happens when we gather together. He said that we, we Christians gathering in the local church, we have been joined to that heavenly throng of worshipers. That reality is experienced in some form or fashion in an unseen but real way as we gather like this. As Tab read to us earlier, Hebrews 4, us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The throne of grace, this throne. Does that change your perspective about our gathering this morning? When you got up for church this morning, did you think you were joining with all heaven and worshiping God? You did. As we close today, we're going to sing. And perhaps when you sing, you might try this. Close your eyes just for a bit. Close your eyes and recall this vision of the throne of heaven and the worshipers around God. And remind yourself that you, you are joined with the worshipers around the throne of God. And then maybe just peek a little bit. Open your eyes. Look around a little. See the worshipers with you in this little community center. And understand this. Both things are true. Both things are true. Both things are now. Both things are happening. As we gather and worship together, we join heaven in worshiping a holy God the one who is on the throne of heaven.
Because, my friends, heaven changes everything. Let's pray together. And while we pray, I'd like to invite the band to come up on stage and the servers to please come prepared to service the elements. So let's pray, and we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed, and they were created. Gracious Father, we thank you for this vision, a reminder of your power, your mercy, your beauty, and most of all, your loving kindness toward us. Help us to live in the truth of heaven, unseen, but not far from us. Help us to believe and understand how this vision of heaven can shift our perspective. Where there is cynicism, may we find faith. Where there is anxiety, may you provide increasing peace. Where there is fear in our hearts, may you replace that with hope. Holy Lord, we are grateful for your love for us. As we take these elements together, we thank you for the glorious picture of so great a love. The only reason that we may approach your throne is because Jesus loved us and gave himself up for his people. And now we may be seen without blemish in your presence. Help us to give thanks, believing this good news, as we take the bread and cup together. It is in your son's name, Jesus Christ, that we pray all these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.